Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. Am I excited tonight? I am with a lady that I just love, that I had the honor to work with about three or four years ago, talking about codependency. Darlene Lancer, I love you, and I so appreciate you joining me again. We had so much fun the last time uh, discussing your book then, which was Codependency for Dummies. And now you've got a really hot topic, Dealing with a Narcissist, Eight Steps to Raise Self-Esteem and Set Boundaries with Difficult People. I've read your book. I think every woman who's in a relationship that's saying, what's going on? I don't understand this behavior. Um, should definitely read this. Um, I want to tell the listeners a little bit about you. So Darlene brings a wide range of professional and life experience to her practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship and codependency expert. She wrote Codependency for Dummies and Conquering Shame and Codependency, Eight Steps to Freeing the True You. Over the course of 28 years, Darlene has helped men and women recover from codependency and trauma. They become effective communicators and more autonomy, and they experience greater success professionally and well-being and satisfaction in their relationships and personal lives. She's also been a senior mediator in Los Angeles Superior Court. Oh, telephones, don't we love them? And... Um, she has mediated divorce and custody and visitation disputes, as well as premarital and domestic violence counseling. Darlene, thank you so much uh, for sending me your book, for taking time to do this. I just loved it. And what I'd love to do before we start the conversation is I just want to read a little quote out of your book. Narcissists don't like to hear no or when others set boundaries. They can act like a child who believes he or she is the center of the universe and throws a tantrum when others don't comply. Not getting their way threatens their facade of being all powerful and in control. Other people's limits trigger their childhood wounds and make them feel powerless like they did as a small child which is very frightening. Ooh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, when I read your book, I said, I think I've known a few of these people in my lifetime. And your book answered so many questions about the behavior and the uh, behavior that's thrown back on us from a narcissist, the way that they sort of gaslight us and everything. So first of all, I would love for you to clarify what is a narcissist in the technical, uh, therapeutic description of, of what they are. 
Well, I first want to thank you for that warm welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Really um, wonderful, and I appreciate that you invited me on the show. And the fact that you responded to that description so um, clearly that you resonated with uh, really shows your understanding because most people don't. They think that the narcissist just is the image who they project. They don't realize that it's a facade, that it's all an act, that they're making up as they go along. That's, sometimes they're very exciting because you never know what to expect from a narcissist. So the, the three core symptoms of someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, which is different from just typical, well, I don't know about typical, but a lot of traits that people have that are narcissistic, or they're, they're called narcissistic um, because they're selfish or uh, insensitive. Oh, my phone. <laughs> Popular. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and, uh, but the three core symptoms are lack of empathy and a strong need for admiration and having a grandiose idea about themselves, or maybe just in their fantasy, they may not even talk about it, but they think that they really uh, should be or are, you know, bigger than life or uh, heroes or the most beautiful or the most talented. And those symptoms um, should be uh, manifest in various behaviors to be to qualify for MPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. And it comes out in their behavior of seeking excessive admiration, or sometimes people uh, will brag about themselves, uh, exaggerate and boast. Um, their lack of empathy may be apparent in how they're just very callous to yours or other people's feelings. Um, some have dream of unlimited success or unlimited power brilliance, beauty, things like that. Uh, Another typical trait is someone who expects expects to be treated specially because it's a sense of entitlement, that they want to go to the front of the line, that they deserve only the best treatment, and that they're unique. And some narcissists think that they can only be understood by very special people, uh, or want to hang around only high status people, like rich people or movie stars, or highly educated people. They would only go to the, the most recognized doctor or the most um, be around, get to, invited to the best parties, drive the most expensive cars, and wear the best labels and things like that. Um, and then another trait, now not all narcissists do that, but those that are more, we call malignant, that tend to be uh, more hostile and vicious, will take advantage of others for their own need, for their own ends, and have no remorse. Many narcissists, including parents, are envious of them. Some narcissistic parents are envious of their own children. <clears throat> and a typical Attitude is arrogance. 
and it may spill over into contempt. So it's not only arrogance, but there's hostility to, uh, or disgust at someone. So they just have contempt for them. So to be qualified for NPD, you have to have those three core symptoms of um, lack of empathy, grandiose ideas or fantasies, and needing excessive admiration. But it can be shown through five of these other behaviors that I described. But not everybody has all of them. You only need five. So, a narcissist, do they start to develop those characteristics when they're small? Or is this something that they grow into? I mean, they pick up little pieces here, a little piece there, a character trait there. How does it come about? Well, a narcissist, uh, a personality disorder means that this is been long-standing. Okay. It's not that something that develops, like schizophrenia may develop in your uh, 20s, for instance, uh, or depression. It's very ingrained in the personality. And there's a couple philosophies about theories about how it develops. And the strongest one uh, by Heinz Kohut was put forward uh, decades ago. Is it's a lack of attunement from the parent. Lack of what? <clears throat> lack of emotional attunement. Okay. Lack of empathy. From the parent. From the parent. <clears throat> now, a narcissistic parent won't be able to empathize with their child. But not all children of narcissistic parents turn out to be narcissists. And now they're finding that there's a genetic component, too. But that's just in the early stages of research. But they do they've done some twin studies. So sometimes in a family you'll have a narcissistic or abusive parent, and maybe only one will end up a narcissist. And maybe it's passed on genetically, or maybe it's not. Sometimes it might skip a generation. Or you have twins and one's a narcissist and one isn't. So we don't really understand entirely. But another theorist, um, Kernberg, thinks that it's not just empathy, it's when a parent actually is hostile, has hostility towards the child. It can come out in indirect ways. So does like almost an emotional abuse or trauma as a child contribute to this? Absolutely. Now, there's other, there's social um, learning theorists that say, well, it's from indulging a child. A lot of people think, well, that child is spoiled. And so they think that um, they can do anything, they're entitled to anything. But actually, some research has shown that it's, it's not that alone, giving your kid, your child, a lot of uh, freedom and indulgence. But when there's expectations, um, you can then the child is feeling more than a false short if they don't measure up to those expectations. So just freedom alone doesn't, I don't think, uh, doesn't create a narcissist. Just uh, to you can't love a child too much. So. Interesting, interesting. Um, so at times. In reading the book, 
some of the characteristics of a narcissist to me seemed a little similar um, as a codependent. So really, what's the difference between the two? Well, I really think that narcissists are codependent. So Do you think that they are one? I think so. Okay. And you know, this is my own opinion, it's not mainstream opinion. Because they share core symptoms of shame, dysfunctional communication, dysfunctional boundaries, needing validation from others, they're insecure underneath. The narcissist is not always conscious of that. Now, there's something called a covert narcissist that might look more like a codependent because they actually um, display more feelings of feel inferior, insecure, the more inhibited. They're not your typical exhibitionist narcissist who likes to be the center of attention and in the headlines. Uh, they seem to lack confidence. But underneath, they share some of those not, now this is not all codependence. They share some of the traits of narcissists of, uh, feeling entitled, um, and feeling, have grandiose, uh, ideas about, uh, what they deserve or who they really are, fantasies about who they want to be. So, yeah, I want to be clear. Not, that doesn't make all codependence narcissists. But I think that narcissists are codependents. They also have the same denial that codependents do. And they have intimacy problems. And they seek control. So to me, those are the core symptoms of codependency. The denial, the control, the shame, dysfunctional boundaries, dysfunctional communication, intimacy problems. Can you elaborate what? on the intimacy? When you, What do you mean by that when you say that they have intimacy problems? Well... You know, many times they find a codependent doesn't feel deserved to be loved, or they have trouble getting close to someone. They're in relationships with someone who's either abusive, uh, an addict, or just unavailable emotionally. And they keep, they always think it's the other person, but they're really, if someone loves them, then they find fault. And they think, well, they don't have good judgment, uh, they're boring. Uh, they have a lot of reasons they're just not attracted to the person uh, because they really feel like they have to earn love because they don't feel lovable themselves. So, you know, the myth of narcissus, it's really sad, but it so typifies relationships with the narcissus because a narcissus was captivated and in love with his own reflection, was self-centered, and Echo, the one who was pining for him, was her, wasted her whole life watching him and looking for any sign of attention while he and feeling ashamed and spurned by him. And that's it really grabs the essence of a relationship with the narcissist. You're always wanting that validation, that love, and maybe there's fleeting moments of romance or words of love. And being swept off your feet or turned the charm turned on and then it's grabbed away. You know, the narcissist turns away from you, ignores you, and there you are again trying to get his or her love, attention, that you you matter, that you're important, that you're needing that. And again, you're you're hurt and emotionally abandoned. 
But the, the narcissist feels like they're not loved either. Interesting. Why do they pull away? Do, do you have a philosophy on that? Why, why they... Well, because they, first of all, they need constant admiration and validation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons. They get bored. You know, that they, it's, it's the winning, it's the pursuit. Actually, I did a um, blog about Donald Trump. <laughs> that must be interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, a lot of people actually took issue with that because of supporters of Trump. But I was not writing the blog to call him a narcissist. I was actually just interested in his own quotations and let them speak for themselves. And he says that, you know, he, he loses interest, but it's the chase. You know, it's it's the chase that is exciting. It's the winning. It's um, the victory over that person. Uh, and then, so that's what happens. So it's the pursuit. And then when they're in an actual relationship, they find out that person has needs. And that they don't want to meet those needs. They want only their needs met. And this is one difference in typical between your stereotypical codependent and a narcissist is a codependent will sacrifice things for others. They put other people first. And a narcissist will put themselves first. And that's what makes them a perfect match because they both agree that the narcissist should come first. Sooner or later, after a while, the partner thinks, well, what about my needs? And feels and keeps saying, what about me? You know, and but that's not what the narcissist signed up for. In the beginning, they might charm someone and seem very attentive, but that's just part of this pursuit. It's part of the game. And then it's too much work. And they don't want to keep putting on the charm. They don't want to keep, you know, buying you flowers or taking you out and doing all those romantic things because that was just part of the pursuit. And so then they just lose interest and they have to woo somebody else. They might, they like that excitement of the romance because underneath there's depression and they need constant validation. So then they might cheat, uh, or, or get it through other means, other, um, men or women that are going to flirt with them and give them that constant reassurance. The other thing is they devalue their partner. So then they devalue the love of the partner that they, their, their spouse, because now they, they look down on them, they find fault with them, and then their love means nothing to them. So they have to then look to replace it with someone else who's going to give them that validation. They don't want the love from the rejected person because they see flaws suddenly, you know, they, and then showing um, emotions they think is weak. They don't want to show sensitivity, vulnerability, feelings. That's another reason why the last thing you want to do is ask a narcissist, you know, show me your feelings <laughs> and express your vulnerability. That's like right. the worst thing. That's like they dread that. They want to seem strong, impervious, and in control. And when you come to them with your tears or your feelings, it's like it turn off to them because they can't accept that as their own vulnerability. So they push you away, but they're really pushing away that parts of themselves, that child that felt helpless and defenseless and shame and hurt 
They don't want to know about it. It's very deep. So can you actually have a healthy relationship with one of these men or women? Or, I mean, do you just, when you see the warning signs, pick up and run? I mean, what, what's the best strategy here for, for emotional safety and, and well-being? Well, I want to point out, and I'm going over the symptoms, is that narcissists um, exist on a spectrum. It's a continuum. So does codependency. Some people are so codependent they can't be without someone and they can't be with someone. The intimacy is too scary and being alone is too scary. Um, and other people are in a, a healthy relationship, but they exhibit some signs of like caring uh, too much, uh, being a caretaker, uh, not sacrificing themselves, but the relationship works. The same thing with narcissism. So some people are so extreme narcissists, we call them malignant. They have no remorse. Uh, they can be cruel. They are revengeful and hateful. And they may lie and they may break the law. They start to show more and more signs of sociopathic behavior. And when you see that, and they can be violent and abusive, when you start to see those kinds of signs, whether it's with you or someone else, you know, those are warning signs that that person is dangerous for you. And when you confront them and they have no remorse, they show no insight, no interest in, uh, no shame, no interest in taking responsibility for themselves. Typically, um, the favorite defense of a narcissist is projection. And that means they see very negative traits in you. What they can't face in themselves, they project onto someone else. And in fact, if you start feeling humiliated or shamed, you can look at it, and I explain this in my book, is that they are showing you how they feel unconsciously, or they're showing you how they were treated as a child. They're how you're feeling around them is what they're denying, and it's projected, and they blame you and shame you. So I want to help people not to take that personally, but it's information about what's going on inside the narcissist. And if they have no insight, if they're not interested in healing, they're taking response. I started talking about their lack of taking responsibility because they project. So, but some narcissists can. I know narcissists that have felt guilty about their affairs and want to, you know, make up for it. And they care about their family and they want to go to therapy and they want to save their marriage. They have insight. And so they're capable of changing. And then there's some that can empathize in some areas, except when it comes to their own behavior. You know, when they're being challenged, then they're not empathic. But when it's with somebody, you know, who's not a threat to them, they can exhibit some empathy. Interesting. And then some people that are we call subclinical, they might not have all five of the traits that are required. They can learn to empathize. You help them by 
putting them in the other person's shoes to imagine what it's like because they don't have that in, if they can imagine how it would feel if the shoe were on the other foot they can have an aha moment and start to realize yes i see what that would be like but generally it's sometimes hard to tell with the narcissist. Sometimes they say and do the right things, but you get this feeling that it's uh, phony, that it's as if you never know if they're really being authentic. Are they and doing they it for another reason? Are they doing it to get something? They might be doing it to get something, or they've just learned that that's socially appropriate, that that's how to behave. So they're mimicking, actually, rather than really feeling it. When they say how, oh, that's so sad, or that's, that's really hard, or whatever, they're going to be saying the right words, but you get this feeling in your gut that you don't know whether to trust it or not. Right. Trust your gut. Trust I your say gut. that to women all the time. You know, our intuition is the most powerful barometer as to what's going on around us. We need to trust ourselves, and we don't. So get, getting, I want to just finish your question about can you have a healthy relationship? Yeah. So it all depends what you mean by healthy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are a lot of people that are happily married, and they don't have much emotional intimacy. They're good companions. They may have a good working relationship. They may parent together well. They don't even realize that they're, what they're missing. Maybe they didn't have that in their own family. And their expectations of intimacy is lower, and I'm talking about emotional intimacy, than somebody else. So everybody has different needs. Somebody wants a companion. Somebody wants financial security. Somebody would sacrifice all of that to have someone, a partner that's very open. and can share deep emotions with them. Uh, to some people, sex is important. To some people, it's not. So um, I think it's everyone has to determine for themselves what is important to them in a relationship and not go by what your friends say mm -hmm. or what you read. But and then a lot of people say, is this normal? Is this healthy? And I'm saying, well, how do you feel? And then they tell me how unhappy they are. So again, go with what works for you. If you're unhappy, that's all you need to know. And I've had clients where I only saw that their narcissistic spouse refused to come. And by coaching them and working with them, the relationship totally changed for the better. To my amazement, actually, because I thought it was hopeless. And, and I'm thinking of one situation. And in other cases, they were unhappy and they tried different things, and it didn't work. But in the process of counseling, they got the courage to leave. Because when they first came, they still loved their partner. And they were hopeful and wanting it to change. And they were willing to try what whatever they could. But what they needed was courage to come out of denial and see the truth. Because they kept trying to bend over backwards to get attention and love from that narcissist. It didn't matter what they did. So then they had to kind of turn, build up their own. And I talk about this in the book. It's like either building your self-esteem and boundaries 
to deal with the narcissist in, in an effective way. And a lot of it is about teaching them how to talk to you and how to respect you and how to communicate your needs in a way that they're going to listen to. Or you'll find out if none of that's working, in the process, you will have gained the courage to leave because it's not easy to leave. You mentioned communication, which I think is a, like probably one of the biggest challenges with these people. How do you communicate with them? Because they don't respond to emotional communication. That's right. It's, you have to come with the mindset of not having them, not just communicating just your feelings in a very raw sense. I do say that that's important. But if you're doing it to just get empathy, um, you have to do it in a very precise way that I explained. Mm -hmm. And it's, you're coming from a, a, a mental, um, point of view of educating. Not coming from a point, place of being a victim. And because if you start complaining, the narcissist hears criticism. That is like the worst thing because they are hypersensitive to criticism. This shows you how vulnerable they truly are. And they can react with rage yes. when they feel criticized. Oh, yeah, I've seen yeah. it. So you, you have to practice. I have scripts in the book. You have to um, observe their behavior. And then you, you frame it in ways that are very assertive and calm. And you don't react to negative put downs in that way. You set boundaries. You let them know when you speak to me that way, this is what happens. I want to pull away from you. I don't want to. Now you have to know what your narcissist wants. They want time alone or if they want sex or exactly what their needs are. But you know in your relationship what's important to them. Maybe it makes me not willing to um, go to your business events with you or to watch ball games with you or I don't feel like having sex with you. You know, when you um, talk to me in that tone of voice because I, you can tell your feelings because I become afraid, you know, or I feel unimportant. I feel like my needs don't manage you. And then you tell them, but when, like the other day, when you, you know, offered to drive the children here or there or pick up something for me, I really felt uh, appreciated and it makes me feel closer to you. And it makes me admire you. You praise them. It makes me love you and want to spend time with you and meet your needs. Because really this has to work for both of us. This is a two-way street. And you have to keep emphasizing that because in the end, they're going to be interested in getting their needs met. So you frame it in terms of how their changing is actually going to work for their benefit. When you stay away from, when you argue with the narcissist, you lose. Right. So you don't want to get into, you don't want to defend yourself because that's giving them power over you. When you start defending and explaining and saying to anybody, it's saying, you have power over my self-esteem. 
So you want to disengage, and I give a lot of examples of things to say. If I say something, you say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I really want to think about it. So you're giving them, and you don't give them, you don't give them ammunition to put you down. You start denying and explaining, and say, then they'll come back with um, some other put down or change the subject. So you just say, I'll think about it. Or you, in time, you might lay groundwork and say, uh, I want to be treated as talked to with respect, that tone of voice. And you let them know ahead of time that, you know, when you do that, I'm not going to engage with you. If you, you you know, call me names or something like that. Right. I really don't want to continue that conversation. And you do it with dignity. Nice. Um, in the description of this show, I'm going to put the link to a blog post that you have on your site. And um, you're going to be giving away like a free uh, checklist report to the listeners. Just tell us briefly what that is so that they'll oh, know yeah. to go to your website to get it. Well, they can, it's not on my website. Well, you can click on, actually, no, if you just email me, mm -hmm. I'll mail, and that's at info at darlinglancer.com. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and the website with all this information, actually, is at whatiscodependency.com. Okay. And there's links to my books and my uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and there's audio talks and everything else. But the list is about nearly 50 uh, behaviors of narcissists. Mm -hmm. It's a checklist. Mm -hmm. It's not scored or anything right. like that. A actually, in my ebook, there's a quiz you can take at the end. Mm -hmm. See where you or your partner fall in the continuum. Mm -hmm. Because there's such a thing as healthy narcissists, too. Yes. Healthy. Yeah. So the list goes through uh, all sorts of behaviors, and it might help you to not necessarily um, judge. You're, a lot of people are trying to figure out, is he or she a narcissist? And I think that's the wrong tack to take. It's more important to find out more about, are my needs getting met? How do I feel in this relationship? Rather than try to label your partner. Uh, it will come out when you go through this checklist, or you read my book, you'll come out realizing not only how you participate in the relationship, why you're attracted to this person, and what are your triggers. Because I did mention that in communication, you have to um, unbutton your triggers. You have to get <laughs> disengaged so you do not react. This is very important. Because once you react to these provocations and lingers, you know, the communication is lost. There's a lot of work on yourself in getting in, in changing the dynamics in the This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's always just such a pleasure to see you and talk with you and Thank follow you. your books. I love them. You bring such great material, uh, you know, to all of us. So again, thanks so much for taking the time out to do this. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity, and I love all of your work too. Oh. <laughs> thanks. Thank you so much. Great to see you, Darlene. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Wonderful. Bless you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. If you like what you heard, 
The best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and please leave a favorable review at iTunes. Be sure to visit Maldwain.com for Mal's six-part video series, Heal Your Wounded Heart and Reclaim Your Worth.